Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple and the host of the Project Purple Podcast. And we have another interview for you coming up with a very special guest after a few quick updates. It's fascinating as I read this because doing this so many times and, and this year is just like going so fast. We are on pace for another record year, which is just, it's, it's crazy. It's amazing. It's a blessing all in one. I just want to thank everyone who has supported, donated, or participated in a Project Purple event to make this year as special as it has been already. Speaking of next year, though, because uh, most of our teams are are either uh, ran a race um, in terms of our marathon teams or they are full, um, but we have launched 2024. We've launched our 2024 London Marathon team as well as our Colfax Marathon half and relay teams, which is in Colorado. And big news, we are back in the Boston Marathon as an official charity partner for 2024, which is huge. This now makes us an official charity partner of the five largest world marathons. And many of our other 2024 races will be launching very soon. To learn more about all these great events, visit our website at projectpurple.org and make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date on all things Project Purple. Without further ado, let's meet our special guest today. First time going all the way to Switzerland. We've never had a guest from Switzerland on the podcast. Pancreatic cancer survivor, Martin Inderbitzen. Martin, welcome to the Project Purple podcast. Thank you, Dino. It's a big, big pleasure to be here today with you guys. Well, the pleasure's all ours. And uh, as we were kind of playing Connect the Dots before, I, I believe someone on our team saw your story. I know you've been, uh, I'm, I'm excited. So I know we talked a little bit, like we had a, a slew of interns this summer to help us on all things marketing. And one of the, the priorities was the podcast. So they really did a great job of lining up so many amazing guests that our audience has heard over the last uh, couple months. And um, I don't do a lot of research on the guests. That's, that's just me. Um, usually it's either the day before or the morning of, or you know a little bit before. And the reason being is it's not disrespect for anything. I just love hearing the people's story for the first time on the podcast when we when we hit record, right? And so when I was doing some research yesterday um, for your podcast, I was like just blown away by all the work you've done. So just really excited to have you on here and, and, and your story. So with that, I'm going to hand the, the microphone, as I say, over to the guests to kind of share their backstory and share their background um, and what brings them to the podcast today. So with that, the microphone's yours, Martin. Thank you. Yeah, with, with pleasure, I can share a bit of my turbulent story and um, yeah, maybe share some experiences and learnings I, I get away from it. So as you mentioned, i from Switzerland. I grew up here in Zurich, beautiful town and um, enjoying my life until around 10 years ago, where I dramatically had a, a shift by getting hit by pancreatic cancer diagnosis and I know everybody listening, you have your own stories or you know somebody. So I don't have to dive into how this feels or how overwhelming it is. We, we all know and, and it is. So um, for me back then, what was interesting is you mentioned a lot of marathon races in the intro. So for me, my natural shift was um, to turn to, to triathlons. I never did any kind of these sports before. It was, in my opinion, in a 
when I look at it in the back mirror of my life, it was my way of, of coping with my fear because the survival rate was, was very slim, was back then around 5%. I was 32 years old. And so just finished my PhD in neuroscience, like ready <laughs> to start my career. Ironically, I did my PhD on topics of stress and emotions. So <laughs> now I'm always joking, like I learned first all the theory and then I got the practicum, like <laughs> how it feels. And it's, I can tell you it's not the same. So yeah, my natural response back then was to, to sign up for a triathlon, which was, uh, was kind of crazy. I, I never did something like this. I hated running. <laughs> I had not even a bike. I, I knew how to swim. I was once in a swim club when I was a teenager, so that was good. But yeah, it was just, I, I had to pick something crazy to say, okay, if I get here alive, I'm going to do this. And that's what I did. And, and I'm not sharing it here that I think everybody has to run a triathlon or a marathon. Sometimes that puts the bar very high for others. Maybe you, you listen to this while you're on the sofa recovering from something and you like think what the F like Martin, I can never do this. So it's, I think it's not about the triathlon. I think what really helped me is to have something that was like a light in the dark, like something to look forward to something. And that can be anything, you know, it doesn't have to be this kind of masculine Hollywood storyline of, yeah, I'm strong. I'm a marathon or I, I don't think that's, for everybody the right approach but what helped me was was definitely to have something to to hold on and something that helped me to cope with my fear because every time i go running and until now when i go running i, I feel safe because like my body works and so i'm safe um at least that's what i tell myself <laughs> the last 10 years as you said i i did a lot of projects i I started a, a non-profit organization called My Survival Story, where we share, similar to your podcast, like we share stories from other survivors, spreading stories, authentic stories, stories of hope, um, where you can like see, okay, how do other people cope with it? Um, and I did that all while going through multiple cancer treatments. So my story unfolded in a way which is kind of uncommon for pancreatic cancer it, it became kind of chronic but uh, until now and i touch wood because it looks like i'm i'm just entering another very interesting phase of treatment until now it was never getting like out of control so i had like i think five big surgeries i had a lot of chemos i had a lot of microablations small surgeries and um I kind of went up and down, I kind of like <clears throat> trying to keep it at bay and and do whatever you can while while fighting for your life. And and I share this also because I think it's important when you get bad news. Of course, you never know what's going to happen. I, I got my last bad news a week ago, so I, I will have to start treatment again in, in the coming weeks. And so you never know what's going to happen. And it's always scary. And it's always like, maybe this is the last round. But then I'm here since 10 years doing this. So if you have now bad news at home, um, you never know, you know, maybe at the moment it feels really bad, but maybe it's not as bad. So 
that's what I learned from from all these years going through this this illness so far. Yeah. So I, I want to back up to the. So you were thirty two when you were diagnosed. That's really young. Yeah. yeah. So what was? And I know you said you. I, I know from reading, and you just said that you know you had uh, you had just gotten your PhD in neuroscience, which was probably stressful. Uh, which I know, I know you mentioned that, that, that you specialized in stress and emotions, which I, I want to, we're going to talk about that. But so uh, what were your signs and symptoms and like, what, how did, how did we get there? Like at that diagnosis at, at such a young age, it's just so crazy. I always say, I always say now Swiss cheese saved my life <laughs> because we were like in the mountains in Switzerland for a retreat and we, we ate a lot of fondue. I don't know if you know, like when yeah. you melt the cheese. And we ate a lot of that and we had some white wine and probably some some liquors and <laughs> and the next day i had really hard pain like stomach pain and so what happened is probably a combination from the tumor and from the from this evening that i got an inflammation of of the pancreas and so the first sign i had was a pancreatitis like pancreas inflammation and from then on, we, we actually could find uh, the tumor at a at an early stage, uh, which yeah, which was probably very very helpful, very lucky. Um, but it uh, since then I never felt my illness. I had like multiple relapses in the liver. Mm -hmm. Now I have something in the liver and something in the lung, and I don't feel anything since ten years, which is kind of very surreal like doctors telling me look it looks like this or that and i never I, I only feel the treatment but not the illness yeah that's so wild so yeah if you so that pancreatitis that inflamed pancreas like if you didn't have that you, you know and, and i know I mean, we we've talked to people that have dealt with you know pancreatitis for a long long time and nothing happens right in terms of them developing cancer and then you hear stories like yourself where people mm -hmm. have like these short bouts of pancreatitis put on onset by who knows i don't i don't think there's any hard data that says hey if you drink x or you eat x mm -hmm. that you're i mean we do know like prolonged mm -hmm. you know alcohol um you know and, and certain foods, if you're doing this nonstop, you're, you're going to have issues, but just to do it at, at a one time and eat something, or, you know, even if it's on an occasion, doesn't normally cause pancreatitis, right? So if you didn't have this episode, you know, and, yeah. and you find it you early enough. Have, you will not have to talk today, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and that, that's another key piece, right? In early detection, because right. we don't have early detection. There's no early detection of this disease globally, right? right? Nowhere yeah. in the world do we have. And now we're, we're here in the States, we are, and it's actually happening all around the world where we do know from a genetics piece that there is something underlying, you know, that, you know, anywhere close to about 10% of the cases here in the United States do come from some sort of genetic mutation. So given that this was 10 years ago, and now fast forward to where genetics is a big piece of this disease today have you had genetic testing over the last 10 years has anyone kind of taken yeah. a look at the genes yeah 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 i did multiple genetic test panels small big ones and and unfortunately we don't found any targets that we could use for treatment 
Wow. Yeah. But something I, I would recommend everybody to do, and uh, I mean, normally doctors point it out now more and more, um, but uh, also if the chances are slim, I would recommend doing it because, yeah, you never know. Maybe you'll find something. Yeah. I, I know here in the States, it is required now um, when you do get diagnosed and you go into any center in the United States. Mm -hmm. I know that's a little bit of a struggle around the world. Um, I know for our friends... Uh, in um you know in the UK that that's been a big push over the last couple of years um and even today that you know that they do genetic testing because uh, we've had some guests that are are very young similar age where you know they had to really 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 advocate for genetic testing which is just to us it's so it I guess to to me it's it's pretty foreign because now that mm -hmm. there is such a emphasis here in the United States for genetic testing but you know um. Other countries move a little bit, you know, their their mechanics are a little bit different than mm. how we are here in the States mm. in terms of how the medical system is. So it, it does take some time, I guess, in some other countries to get mm. that pushed through. The the um the thing you said about the triathlon, okay, so I, I mentioned we do a lot of running. I, I started running a lot. That's how we got into running when my dad was diagnosed. That's how I dealt with his diagnosis. And it's so fascinating because you mentioned triathlon. Triathlon scares the crap out of me. And the biggest piece of that is the swimming. I hate swimming, like that just being in that. So to do a triathlon, I think anyone who does it, it's just so amazing. It's it's on that, you tow that line of being a little bit nutty, <laughs> you know, cause you gotta do the run, you gotta do the bike, you gotta do this. Well, it's really swim, bike, run in that order, right? To me, that's just like insane. Like it's an awesome insane. Like I think it's just a, it's just, just like when we think of endurance athletes, and I know we've had this argument um, internally and externally because we used to do some stuff with CrossFit, which you know CrossFitters say they're the most fittest athletes in the world. I tend to think sometimes it's the triathlon, triathlons, triathletes because you know to really do all those three disciplines and do them really, really well, it's a lot. So, and I also know from, I've never done one, but from having people, um, you know, work with us and, and do triathlons, there's, there's really a science to it. And I think for our audience listening, I just want to, um, the point I'm making here is you get diagnosed. So you're dealing with all of the cancer stuff, which is a lot. And then the triathlon, you, you just don't, someone just doesn't go, Hey, uh, there's a triathlon this weekend. I'm going to go do that without any like serious training. And I know that the biggest, one of the biggest keys in that triathlon piece is the training, but also the nutrition, because depending on the distance, you could be out there for 11, 12 hours and you've got to eat, you've got to manage all this, you've got to figure all this out. We always say you never do anything for the first time on race day, right? Like whether it's nutrition, your shoes, your kit, your outfit, right? Like your bike, like you've got to like put a lot of work into that. So how was that during that experience? Cause that had to be kind of like, I, I just love to kind of talk about that a little yep. bit. Maybe that was a great distraction for whatever, because there's so much going on. Yeah, I think you get the point with the distraction because the moment, and and I literally, I I signed up for the triathlon while I was getting chemo in the hospital. Like I, I literally was connected to the chemo and I got like my phone out and with one hand, I could only type with one hand. I I got my start number 
which was totally nuts because I mean, I back then I could walk for 10 minutes and then I was exhausted. And for me, it was really distraction away from being ill to forward, like how to become fit again. And of course, in the beginning, my first training was in the hospital. I mean, I call it training, but it was like, it was like a five minute, uh, spin on the, on the home trainer, you know, like the bike, the stationary bike. Yeah. It was like, and I walked down with my chemo, with my, like the little trolley with the chemo down to the ground floor where this gym was in the hospital. And I sat for five minutes on the, on the home trainer. And I mean, the guy taking care there of the whole gym, he was like looking at me, like kind of, what do you want here? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, I want, I want to train. And so this was five minutes training. <clears throat> and, and of course this has nothing to do with the triathlon training. And yes, it was and still is one of my most important training I ever did because it was this kind of first little step. And, and then I just, I, 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 of course, I, at one point I downloaded a training plan and I realized it's, it's too much. I cannot do that. And I mm -hmm. just adapted. I just said, okay, today I go walking. Okay. Today I, I called it in the beginning in the swimming pool. I called it floating. I, I, I like the old ladies were actually faster than me, you know, like, and I realized, okay, maybe I still need to improve a bit my game. So I really, I really just tried to, to feel also my body and, and feel like, what do I need? And, and realizing my body is still full of toxic chemicals and, and not pushing it over the top, you know, but it shifted my focus from being able to, okay, I, I just want to build up slowly, slowly my body. And of course I have to add, I, I was not signing up for a, for an Ironman out of the, of the hospital it was like a short distance, like Olympic distance triathlon, which I think is more like a good start when you never did a triathlon, because as you said, like as long as the big ones, yeah, you need much more of preparation and nutrition and, and all these kind of things. Like, yeah. The Olympic, whether you do a sprint or Olympic one, that's still a lot of work. No one, I mean, again, for the audience listening and watching, I mean, mm -hmm. you're going through treatment, which like you said, is ravaging your body. Mm -hmm. And then now you've got to train for this. Like to me, that's, that's like the good insane, right. Um, mm -hmm. that I said, like, it's just really, really, and, and I am always so fascinated, Martin. And one of the things, um, that I think is just awesome when we bring survivors on the podcast and they talk about these things that they do, and, and this is probably going to shift here. The conversation is just the ability to take your body to that point um, where you don't think you could go. And mm -hmm. I, I am just super fascinated by that. Um, but I think when it comes to cancer and when you think about, okay, you have these survivors, you know, going through this cancer journey, going through treatments and then still being able to run races you know, hike mountains, do all these things. And, and I know the, to your point, I know you said this, like, it doesn't have to be these extreme things, but still mm -hmm. to even do these other things that they're doing in their lives by pushing themselves mm -hmm. is just really, really wild where we, we don't know we can take our bodies to that point, right. Mm -hmm. To that 
And I don't know if it's a tipping point or to the edge to, to be able to do these amazing things. It's just really, really fascinating to me. So my question, and, and I know you've got, you know, your PhD here in neurosciences, you know, how much of this is, you know, for what you went through, mental versus physical? Hmm. It's a good question. I I would answer it the following. Like if you if you sign up for something like this out of chemo, maybe just in parentheses, I don't believe that you have to do that to survive. Like I think it's always important to like if somebody listens and, and says, Oh, I, I just cannot find the energy or the mindset to do it. And then you get scared. Like, Oh, Martin did that. And Martin survived 10 years. And if I don't run a half marathon, I will die. And I don't believe that. So that's just very important to put out there. But what I believe is that physical activity in any kind of form that can be walking or swimming or biking or it doesn't have to be extreme sports is supporting you and your your body and your immune system and, and by that like supporting you in the treatment also while you're on chemo there is a lot of study and science on it that it's actually good to to move your body while on chemo so back to your question if it's physical or mental i think it has a lot to do with mindset it has a lot to do with because look when i started i could not run because i was lying for three or six months in on the sofa like my ankles and my knees were hurting so i first had to walk and and you know important there is is like do you have the ego mindset the mindset is like okay i'm strong i'm gonna show everybody how good i am or do you have like a, a self-loving constructing mindset that also realizes hey wait today it's okay if i just walk for 15 minutes you know I think mindset is, is, that's also mindset. Can, can you slow down and see like, okay, the old ladies in the swimming pool are much faster than me. And, and, but can you still keep training while you realize, okay, I'm really, really low, but that's where I am. Okay. Tomorrow I will be better. You know, like that you don't give up hope. And, and I think that's, that's the, the key to any kind of success that you want to want to do no matter if it's a triathlon or or anything else to get this kind of playfulness of 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 like self-loving curiosity like okay what do i need now to make the next step i i love that you just said mindset because for those watching you've got the picture behind you that goes all the way down and then the last one is mindset so but i want to talk story about this picture like no listening you i explain like it's it's like 11 times written the word mindset and the first the first line is correct and then everything is like turned upside down that's from an experiment i did two years ago where i was wearing um, a goggle that turns up the vision upside down and i was wearing the goggles for 10 days without taking it off like together with the museum it was like a self-experiment and so what you see here is how the mind adapts slowly you learn how to write again. So it's for me, it's, it's like a metaphor of a crisis of like also cancer. You know, first everything is upside down. You don't know where it's like what to do. And, but after a while, your brain adapts. Your brain is very adaptive and it's much more adaptive than you think. You, you, you are the one who like, Oh, no, no, I cannot do it or I'm scared. Your brain doesn't care. Your brain is a little child and just wants to find out what to do now. So. 
it was very interesting to 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 like relearn how to write and then on the last day i took off the goggles and i could like write the word again normal so yeah that's a funny story about this picture i love it i love it and what you just said is so powerful because I can think about my own examples and we're going to spend some time here because you just said something about mindset um, that I want to go to, but go back to what I just said. Like oftentimes I, there's this analogy, like my mom always says, you can lead a camel to water. You can't make them drink. Right. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes I feel a lot of people, and I know some people use it like the grieving stages, right? Like it's angry and then there's acceptance, right? And I think with mindset also, like I've seen people where there's that diagnosis and then, you know, there's all these questions and they're, they're frazzled and then they get this acceptance and then they thrive and they, they live and they do these amazing things. And I'm not trying to point out anyone or shame anyone. I, I think everyone's journey into that realm or those realms is, is their own. Right. And, but you can't force people into that. I feel mm. so, but you said something here though, which is really fascinating because as you were talking and I'm making notes here and I've talked about like your subconscious and our subconscious, I always, I've did some training years ago and it was always like your subconscious drives like 99% of your conscious decisions. Right. And if you really want to create change and become a better person, you really got to like change that subconscious. And that's really hard to do sometimes. Right. Because there's all these things that have allowed our subconscious to think certain ways or to do certain ways. Corneas analogy is like, which you, you probably, people don't realize this. They put their right shoe on before their left shoe every day. Right. And there was some subconscious decision mm -hmm. at some point that forced you to do that. Right. I always say, I always use, you know, the other ones like your pant leg, like putting on pants, like you put in your right before your left. Like, why do you do that? Like, subconsciously, that's ingrained in us. So, but you talk about this mindset of self loving and ego. So mm -hmm. I want to spend some time on that because I think that's really important here when we talk about like, you know, that shift and that mindset a bit. So given your experience and, and what you've done professionally and personally, how do, and maybe we can't like, again, you can't force people to do this, but what are some steps maybe that people can do that? Because I, I do believe what you said, like having that self-loving, like you said that I was like, man, that's so true. And like, even for me, like I go to run, like I just love to run because it's my thing. I, I don't care about the time. Like, Hey, I, I, I knew, I think the first four or five marathons, I'm never going to be a three thirty marathoner. Um, and I, I accept that, but I just love the journey of being out there and, and mm. just the process of being there. Mm. But so what are some of the things that maybe we could share with the audience about those two things that, that could be a big deal mm. here when we think about mindset? So you, you mentioned different things, like one is the episode of how a crisis unfolds and the acceptance process. And the other thing you mentioned is like, how can we how can we train a mindset that <clears throat> a constructive mindset I, I i prefer the word constructive mindset versus positive mindset because positive i mean i know in the us it's a lot about think positive and so but but i think uh, 
constructive is like hel- a helpful mindset, you know, and, and sometimes it's more helpful to sit down and cry and give space to your emotion. It's actually healthier than just trying to stay positive. So I believe mindset is really a skill and, and it's something you can learn and it's not like something you're born with and it's something you can train and you can become aware of and you can always ask yourself, okay, is my mindset helpful or not? Um, what, what always helped me is in every crisis are two very powerful questions. One is like, what do I need now? Like, like honestly asking myself, what do I need? What is, what is now something, a resource or something that can help me? And the second question is, what do I don't need? And that's a question which when you have cancer, you can answer much easier and with more confidence and say no to stuff and people. And, and that's very deliberating. And because you realize time is limited and okay, I don't need that. And, and you can, you can set borders. And so it's, it's both questions are addressing what I call the self loving mindset, like, being able to take care of yourself and the counter effect is yeah that you you are driven by ego and just proving and you know i heard a very cool uh word uh, saying today from gary weinerchak he was saying you know ego is just slang for insecurity i love it it's true like ego is like okay you're insecure you have to prove something you you have to show off or you're driven by i don't know power or because you're insecure and and that's the same and that com- brings me back to the first part of your question with the acceptance like like in the beginning when you're in a crisis we don't want to accept of course yeah. it sucks it's like i don't want this i I'm, I'm angry and i'm sad and 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 i think that's good i think that's normal that's like give your give space to these emotions like emotions are not good or bad emotions are comfortable or uncomfortable and i will not call it bad because every emotion has a function it has a is here for something you know and so take your time cry it out or destroy something in your house i don't know like whatever is needed but then is is a point where you have to ask yourself okay and now what and nobody can take it away from you. Like some people get there in a week, some needs a half a year. I don't know. But then comes the point where you said, okay, when people accept, it's when they start to, to create their life. It's the acceptance is, it's accepting doesn't mean giving up. It's the contrary. And a lot of people get that wrong. They think like, yeah, but when I accept and then I give up. No, it's the contrary. It's like once you accept, you actually can start moving on. I love that. That 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 you hit the nail right on the head. Um, you know, and and that is so so freaking powerful. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard, you know, like when when you're when your dad was diagnosed, it's hard, you know, yourself. It's hard to accept that somebody has that, and maybe we are not God and we cannot save everybody. It's it's really really hard. But you probably know from yourself once once you did that, you you can like find a new way of relationship or a new way of grief or whatever, new way of what you want to do. I mean, now you do Project Purple, you know, like. It's all part of that process. 
Yeah. And, and but though there are some days too for me that uh I I think I had acceptance early on of my dad's reality. Um, but then there's days still where sometimes we I, I think it's normal to mourn, right? Like in, mm -hmm. in you know, in passing. And and I remember reading something in a book um about like, you know, if we didn't mourn as hard as we did, then that means that those people didn't leave that powerful of an impact on our lives, right? Um, question for you here, and this is, we might go down a rabbit hole here. Mm -hmm. This is all, th this segment about mindset has been so fascinating, so powerful to me, because I think it's an important narrative that we share, given your experience and, and what you've done. Do you think there's some system challenges in place that don't allow people to have that acceptance. And I know you and I were talking beforehand, we hit record and something that I've been really, really kind of the last three years during the pandemic, really adamant about that, you know, this, this, this term of, as I put my, my air quotes up here, survivorship, right? And cancer is a, is a trillion dollar business around the world, right? And there's a lot of offshoots within that business. And, uh, you know, we just went through this thing, the pandemic, uh, I'm not shaming anyone, but you know, the, the, the data now is coming out in terms of, you know, who was really sick, the sickest of the sickest were these people that had lots of comorbidities, right? But here we are in the US where, you know, fitness and, and a lot of things to help people get healthy aren't really in, in, in the forefront. So going back to this, do you think there's some systemic issues here, not done purposely, but just maybe how the systems are built that don't allow patients the resources to do what we just talked about, having that acceptance, giving them skills and the training to build those mindsets when they get diagnosis of pancreatic cancer or other cancers? I'm not sure in which direction you point with the question when you ask, are there systemic like issues? Because the first thing that comes in mind for me is not like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the, the American healthcare system in detail. I know here in Europe, how it, or in Switzerland, how it's organized, but it's not a systemic issue why people cannot accept that. The first thing that comes in mind is like something, how we are built, like, mm -hmm what I would call the monkey mind. So the reason why it's so hard to accept and, and, and get the right mindset and, and like naturally just know what resources you have to choose to get better is because we have such an outdated software up there in our hardware, you know, like this, this thing was built like two, 300,000 years ago. And we have like old, mechanism fear circuits that just go off very automatic very quickly um everybody knows that <laughs> like if you get an angry email or whatever somebody calls you something you you get emotional and i think the reason is is more up in our in our head and in our biology how we are built that the natural response is denial the natural response is very emotional it's it's very quick it's very like like impulsive and it needs a certain kind of awareness and a certain kind 
of self-reflection and maybe also training or or, or like trying stuff out to become aware of these kind of mechanisms and, and responses. And so it's very natural and very human that that you become angry and sad and denial and you don't want to have what you're what you're in. But as I said before, you don't have to stay there. Like you can ask yourself what you need, what what can what can help you, can train. And then I mean, I don't know how it's in the US, but I think we live in an amazing time. I mean, you have access to so many resources and so many content pieces and and you can find the information you need. Like, and I'm not just talking about the random Google searches, like there are good websites and resources out there where, where you can find help and where you can find stuff that can like support you in your in your healing journey. I don't yeah. know if these answers your question or in which direction you want to, want to, to yeah, ask. Yeah, no, I, it does. But I also feel, I guess the question then, like, you know, I know here in the States, like doctors, the, the way the system, and I'm not trying to blame doctors, but like you go to, they go to medical school and they get particular training. I don't think many doctors have like this type of training, right? Like where they're, yeah. they're, they're going to tell you, well, you know, here are the two key questions. Like, what do you need and what don't you need? You know, it's just like, I think I a lot it, yeah. of the, the yeah. mental stuff is like, Hey, here's a book or, yes. Oh, there's our psychologist. Like if you're feeling depressed, you can talk to psychology, you know, the, the, the person to come in or, you know, now here in the States, it's like, well, you know, now they've got this thing, you know, THC, like take a brownie, <laughs> feel, yeah. feel a little bit bit better suppression you know it helps you with your appetite and it gives you like this high I agree. Yeah. you know so it's like just yeah. they're, they're 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 forcing so and again it's not i'm not trying to point blame to anyone and i think uh -huh. there's a lot of things in this like that the system is so big it's so slow to move like genetic testing before right like i know like you know uh -huh. the uk has centralized medicine but like you know they could you know, with a flip of a, a switch, uh, check the box. They could do genetic testing across the board at all their public healthcare systems. Where here in the mm -hmm. states, you know, every system mm -hmm. is different, so it has to come from the government. So, I, I don't know. And again, I'm not trying to point blame to anyone, but from having this conversation, adding a couple pieces into that process. I would think would benefit people versus them having to search it on their own. Right. I guess is my I point. I totally agree. And I, I can just confirm like also on our side of the pond that the system is very mechanistic. It's very body focused, cell focused, yep. medicine focused. Um, there is not a lot of time or resources uh, or education for the healthcare professional to to actually support the emotional or mental struggle that come along with the cancer <laughs> diagnosis. And what happens then, as you mentioned before, say, okay, go to the shrimp. And then of course, 90% of the men, they just say, no, no, I don't need that. Correct. The women are probably a bit more open, more brave and, and say, yeah, maybe I should try it. And, and you know, like there is a lot of stigma around it. And, and that's also a part of my, my work or why I come to podcasts like yours to, to talk about this and say, Hey, look, it's an extreme situation. And so you don't have to be ashamed if you say, I I'm looking for a coach yeah. that now helps me to go through this. It's like, it's, it's also on the patient side or people affected by cancer that we, we are 
like it's not only the system is not offering it but also we are feeling a bit like oh what is this like should I, do i need that no no i'm strong you know like i don't need that and i think that's bs because when you break your leg you're also not gonna have a coffee with your best friend and say hey can you fix it you know and, and if you yeah. struggle emotionally with cancer like, okay let's have a beer with my body and no maybe there is like as you said before, subconsciously deeper stuff and you you want to have a professional goal with you digging there because, and I do that a lot. I, I take psychological help since eight years and I love it. It's it's not always easy, but it's really, really good. Like I would not be sitting here in the same mindset and same attitude without that help. And I think that, that we have just to point out, yeah. It's fascinating that we bring that up. And so I, I am a firm believer in mental health. And, and, but if you think about it, it's so wild what you just said. Clinicians are so focused on the physical, but not on the mental. And right. And so you could, and, and we've seen this, you know, we could look through history, like you've had physically fit people, but then, you know, mentally they're a hot mess. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you can't have one without the other, I feel, right? Like, and especially when you get a cancer diagnosis and especially something that's really daunting like pancreatic cancer, it is critical to have your mental health as strong as your physical health, probably even stronger, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want that mental health to be like ironclad strong, but there is such a stigma around the world, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, you talk to someone about your mental health. What's wrong with you? You know, for years, right? For years and years mm -hmm. and years, people have been like, and I get it, it is a very personal thing, um, mm -hmm. but we we shouldn't have the stigma of mental health. And we've brought on mental health experts. People have talked about it on the podcast. We even had a guy recently mm -hmm. who, you know, credits his his therapist, his mental health therapist for really getting mm -hmm. him through that, that, mm -hmm. that very difficult time. And I just saw him two weeks ago and he's still seeing the mental, you know, now he's, he's in a, a stage where he's just going, you know, he's NED, doesn't have any sign of cancer right now, but he's still seeing his, his mental therapist because that's how positive it is for him in his life. Mm -hmm. So it, it is really interesting how we don't, it's like that stigma. And I don't know how, I don't have the answer to that, but I do know, like you said, the people that, that thrive are people that get through it. They have that support on that mental side as well as the physical piece of it as well. Yeah, I totally Come agree. I think it's, uh, it goes hand in hand, you know, especially if you have to go through heavy treatment, your mindset is so key, you know, like, because if you go in already, and of course you're scared and everything, but it can support you a lot if you work on your mental health and your mindset. So let's talk a little bit about that and use your experience. Were there certain exercises, books? I know you said, you know, before, you know, the skills in terms of changing that mindset. And I know you, you, you talked about those two questions, but are there books, are there resources that maybe you can share, maybe some bit of advice for you, you know, given your background and your experience, like things that helped you during that time to better yeah, that skill? I, I, I read a lot of books from psychologists or gross mindset and, you know, psychology books. I, I watched a lot of YouTube. I recommend everybody to find a role model I think role models is really cool because everybody can can 
find somebody that he or she is like just a bit in in front and doing maybe something you also want to do and you can learn and, and just like study this person and 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 see like what what they are doing um there is a nice online course i think from yale the science of happiness i think it's public that i can highly recommend and of course you also find on my website you find a lot of resources i have my own online course out there i i published a book this year it's called dare to live i can share with you the link if you want you can find it on amazon where i share small chapters of anecdotes or neuroscience example of mindset so it's it's consciously very like written in a style that you can digest it like easily so that's definitely also a good a good point to start awesome we talked before we hit record on this term survivorship yeah how do you in your experience how do you define survivorship it's not an end goal it's a process you know i called i called my nonprofit my survival story and it's a very conscious selected name so the my is is pointing out it's very personal like every story is different the survival is not an end goal or a status it's it's a process you're surviving all the time until you die you know that's like how it goes it's just it's like um it's a never-ending thing until it's the end you know it's not like you get approval five years NED, and now you're a survivor i don't believe that and the story in the word my survival story is 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 chosen because i believe that our life is is a story we tell ourselves that our brain is a storytelling machine and it matters which story you tell yourself like based on where you put focus you will have a different quality of life and that's your choice and that's a choice nobody can take away from you not the cancer not the, the doctor not any other challenge in in your life nobody like this is your responsibility to choose like where you look so coming back to survivorship it's it's something that it's not it's not finished you know it's not like you are a survivor and you're not <laughs> so it's more for me it's more like how do you survive you know not not how long you know it's like what what do you make out of your time like what what matters to you and i think that is is more important than if you'll get like 10 years or 20 years or 50 years of course we all want <laughs> to live long i mean don't get me wrong but I think it's more about the how. That is so powerful. And, you know, Martin, I, I appreciate the openness and, and everything you just said, because as we said before, like, you know, any, no one know tomorrow's not guaranteed for anyone. Right. Mm -hmm. And if this is one thing that this uh, disease has taught me that, um, you know, we, we don't control a lot of things. And I, I think, to your point, which is just so powerful, how you survive versus how long hmm. is 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 really uh, the you sum it up wonderfully because again, regardless of whether you have cancer or not, like bad stuff happens, um, and we don't know, like we we don't control that cards. I think everyone there's this ideology 
And maybe we could say like, so for some people, this mindset that they feel like they're going to live forever. And mm -hmm. we know that is not the case. There is no, well, maybe there is a fountain of youth. No one's discovered it or shared it yet. But, you know, I think through Hollywood and through all these other mm -hmm. distractions that are in our society, social media, that, you know, that there's this idea of prolonging life as long as you can, which is great and wonderful, but that's not reality mm -hmm. for anyone. No. And we don't control that. And I think that's also the beauty about this illness. And I mean, I'm really saying this sitting here, starting in one week with another chemo, not knowing if it's going well or not. But if you get hit by a car, it's like bang your way, you know? Yeah. And, and having this confrontation with the infinity of your life, of your time, it gives you the chance to make a conscious choice. And maybe the choice is for a week, for a day, maybe for two years. I mean, but you can make a conscious choice and that's beautiful because you can let go of stuff you don't need and you can just yeah focus on 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 what matters to you and i think that's beautiful and you know what the reality of that too is i don't know the percentage but i think it's probably pretty high there's probably a lot of people in the world that never have that yeah which yeah. is which is there's that's beauty in that. I, yeah. I've got I've got a couple questions left for you here, and then we're going to share with our audience where they can connect, learn more, get get. Uh, you've got a great YouTube video on your TED Talk, um, and learn more about your book. My first question here, and th this is kind of a, a little. They're, they're, the, the last three are always loaded and a little bit thought provoking. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Have you ever looked back? Sometimes, as I write my notes. I see some, some of these pictures and, you know, we, we focus a lot here on mindset. You have this PhD in neuroscience, stress and emotions. You ever think about like, Hey, if I wasn't in that field, when I got diagnosed, would things be different? Like if I was, and I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone. Like if I was a mechanic or a downhill skier, you know, that was my profession versus getting a PhD in neuroscience. Would my mindset, my experiences be different? It definitely would be different because I would be a different person, you know. Um, I don't know if I would deal better or worse or that I cannot say. But what definitely would be different is I will not do what I do today. Because the combination of like having the theoretical background as a PhD and having the personal experience as a long-term survivor points me really in this focus of of sharing insights and knowledge and experiences from a very unique perspective. You know, maybe if I would have been a mechanic, maybe, you know, I don't know, I would have worked out more early in my <laughs> life. I wouldn't have got cancer. I don't know, you know, like it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, sometimes I see like people, I always say nothing, ha like people go through these experiences in life or do these certain things and it, it kind of prepares them for what they kind of, you know, what, what the challenges they experience in the future, mm -hmm. even though they didn't know that, like getting into neuroscience, you probably mm -hmm. had a different, you know, calling for that when you mm -hmm. decided to go down that road, but then now seeing, you know, fast forward 10 years later where that has benefited you and helped you in your personal experience is just really fascinating to me. So nothing mm -hmm. to, to dig deeper. I just think it's kind of fascinating. My next question here, 
given everything you've gone, and I know we've given out some golden nuggets, as I call them here on this podcast, but maybe there are other things that you would provide if someone listening or watching has just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. What are some of the things that you would advise them to to look into or to go down or or to follow given the experience you've experienced with pancreatic cancer? I would not dig into the statistics because you are not a statistic, you know, your, your body, like if you are at the beginning of your journey, your body is not in the internet yet, you know? So (laughs) everything you read there, and I know I have done it myself. It's not good news when you, when you read statistics about pancreatic cancer, um, is not representing what is happening at this moment in your body. So that would be an advice, just skip the statistics and rather try to find people and stories of, of hope and that empower you, that help you to shift the focus, you know, away, away from the numbers towards like the humans. That would be my advice. It's powerful. My last question here, always a loaded question. There's no right or wrong to this. Mm-hmm. Given your experience, how do you define the term pancreatic cancer? Oh, <laughs> a very annoying friend that does that. that was never invited to the party. <laughs> you know, like the friend that comes to a party and doesn't want to leave. So, <laughs> how do I define it? <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, I think I, that's that's like my humoristic way of looking at it. <laughs> you know, like. If you have these uh, these Christmas holidays and you have the annoying uh, relative who always shows up and like, oh no, this guy again. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I think everyone listening has one of those. So we, that yeah. is so relatable. Martin. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, last thing here for anyone listening or watching, if they want to learn more about what you're doing, the book you wrote, um, as I mentioned, you, you've got some great videos. You did a Ted talk, which is awesome up on your video. Where's the best place, social media or the website? What's the best place for people to connect with you? Yeah, I think the easiest is just Google my name. It's, it's so unique. Martin Inderbitzin with TC. I, and I think it's easier to read it in the show notes. Um, I'm very active on Instagram and YouTube. And if you want to find out more about this, the project, then you can just go to mysurvivalstory.org or the social media handle is at mysurvivalstory. So yeah, we have there a lot of stories, not only pancreatic stories, but a lot of different podcasts, videos, and the rest is just on my website or on my YouTube channel. Awesome. Martin, it's been a pleasure to have you on our podcast and for me to hear your journey firsthand and to be able to share your journey with the public and our audience. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. And thanks for all the good things you're doing with Project Purple. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you liked today's episode, please share this episode and follow the Project Purple Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That is a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. Thanks for listening. And until next time, be safe.